This is Generation Justice. I'm Alden Bruce. And I'm Kateri Zuni. Generation Justice is a multimedia movement that trains youth to harness the power of media to promote social change. So frequently in our society, youth are portrayed as apathetic, careless, or even worse, destructive. Generation Justice knows this is just not true. And throughout the year, we shared the stories of young people who do care and who live their lives to make a difference. As we end 2015, we bring you some of the best of youth action in New Mexico. Please join us while we celebrate some of New Mexico's brightest youth leaders. We also have some great music from past shows and some we picked just for tonight. First is Kids by MGMT. the Environmental Protection Agency caused a catastrophic spill of toxins from the Gold King Mine in Colorado into the Animas River, whose tributaries flow into Utah and New Mexico. The spill devastated agricultural communities of the Navajo Nation, who rely on this water to support their ways of life. Diné communities hold these waters as sacred and essential to their spiritual traditions. In the wake of the spill, Diné youth have stepped up to take action. The Northern Diné Youth Committee, for example, is an organization who dedicated their work to developing new irrigation systems. That's right, Catery. These new systems will hopefully provide much-needed support to elder Navajo farmers. Now, here are Byron Shorty, Kevin Aspis, and Zachariah Ben of the Northern Diné Youth Committee. My name is Byron Shorty. I'm 23. I'm from Flagstaff. I'm serving as an ambassador for this project. I'm Kevin Aspis. I live here in Shiprock and I'm 20 years old. My name is Zachariah Ben. I was born and raised here in Shiprock and I'm a farmer. I'm also an artist too on the side. The Northern Diné Youth Committee is probably in its sixth year, and it's comprised of youth from about 13 to all the way up to 25 and even beyond that. Um, The idea is simply to be uh, a positive force in this community and in the communities of the Northern Agency of the Navajo Nation. Uh, We've done a lot of activities this summer to just engage with younger people and we've provided opportunities for them to help out. Um, This farm was one idea that that started this summer. It's kind of upsetting to to know that they'll lose probably more than half of their crop or even all of it. It it hurts to know that that might happen because our river is tainted with chemicals that spilled from the mine. And, you know, all we can do is just have hope that the rain will come and help us. I... I did grieve. I did cry. You know, I did cry when the news came out that this this happened to our river. You know, the, the river's our lifeline, our, our bloodline, really. I am mad, upset, angry. But who do I blame? I'm 
not able to do anything physically, so that won't help. I turned that around and I brought that and turned that into my youth committee and I wanted to do something with our farm and with that I turned that into a push into hope and faith into the future by implementing new farming techniques within our farm systems and that was the drip irrigation. It transitions from the previous system which relied entirely on the on the ditch canal system that that was sourced from the San Juan River uh, to an irrigation system which is more uh, efficient it conserves water and it uses pipes and it's basically a drip system so we've been trying to develop this project to be in, in some ways a demonstration so that the community can see that this works even without the San Juan River. I want them to drive by and see our crop green and seeing their youth out there for the future. Uh, I see it as this moment right now being an opportunity for us to grow, to build, and to adapt. There's a lot of times that our people have bounced back since the long walks, we've bounced back. Since the livestock reduction, we've bounced back. And now this has happened on um, Navajo land. I'm hopeful that we will bounce back because Diné people are strong, resilient people. We've adapted, we've changed. I know there will be losses, and that will be tough. And really, there is a point when the EPA has to be accountable for this. We're trying to balance a positive thing with going after something that has hurt, that has caused hurt to us. Hope isn't lost. There's young people here that are willing to work, work for our culture and the land especially and protect it. Our generation has always been at risk for being the generation that loses a lot of the cultural teachings. We've always been under a lot of pressure to learn, to continue our culture and, and the traditional way of doing things. Right now, the message is already in action because this is our first year as a youth committee planting our own farm. And with that, 20-plus members of kids and more than half of that, this is their first time farming. And what I would like to say to those older generations is have hope. Have hope and faith in us younger generation because we are in action already as a young generation where I was being told that the future is ours, but really, you know, the present is ours. Thank you, Northern Diné Youth Committee members, for those inspiring messages. It's very uplifting to hear the spirit of the people, especially the youth, remain strong. This next song is Warrior by Natani Means. Welcome back. You're listening to part one of Generation Justice's 2015 Best of series. Tonight, we focus on youth action. In March, we witnessed a historic few weeks in New Mexico. The Partnership for Assessment of Readiness and College and Careers, or PARC exam, was administered to public school students across the state. 
Realizing the park exam could have negative effects on graduation rates, teacher evaluations, and school funding, students in Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Las Cruces, Rio Rancho, Valencia, and other districts took action. In what were some of the largest school walkouts New Mexico has ever seen, thousands of students protested to show their opposition to the exam. Generation Justice covered the walkouts at multiple campuses and spoke to some of these bold young organizers. Let's take a listen. My name is Ricardo Rodriguez, and I'm a junior at Highland High School. Hello, my name is Abriana Carrion. I am a senior at Las Cruces High School. I'm 18, and I'm from Las Cruces, New Mexico. Mi nombre es Juan Carlos Ailapardo, y yo voy a la escuela Rio Grande. Y tengo 15 años. My name is Annette Velasco. I'm 14, and I'm a freshman at West Mesa High School. Jonathan Bernal. I go to Rogan High School and I'm 18. My name is Angel Macias. I'm 17 years old. I go to Santa Fe High and I'm a junior. I walked out because there is no reason for the park test. It's just another test that's trying to make money out of us. And I believe that we don't need a test to tell us how smart we are or how our teachers, they teach us. I think if Board of Education should go to our classes and really treat us as students and that's just another test score. They can see that how much we are learning with our teachers in our classes. I decided to walk out for the park exam because I wanted to take a stand on behalf of my younger siblings. They're in elementary school. I personally did not have to take the exam, but I walked out in support of speaking out for them. Oh, la razón por la que yo estoy participando en the walkout es porque yo apoyo a los que están protestando porque no, no, es, no está bien eso del examen de la protest porque es un examen que casi nadie sabe y si no lo tomamos no nos graduamos y no pues eso no está bien The reason I decided to walk out today because I believe that the park test is an invalid way to determine somebody's intelligence because somebody who might be really smart might have test anxiety and it's not fair to them and on top of that they're taking a test that we've had a year to learn if that and most of our lives we were taught the SBA standards and then all of a sudden they want to switch it on us and make us take this test that now not only affects us but affects the teachers. The purpose for participating in the walkout was to stop this park test because we have enough tests to determine whether what teachers are teaching and what students are learning in the classrooms because there's already four other tests that determine whether the teachers are teaching what they need to teach. If I could talk to the New Mexico Public Education Department, I would just advise them to reevaluate their motives, reevaluate their intentions. They need to reevaluate where they stand in wanting to help students rather than hindering them um, and making it more of a hurdle to, I mean, be a student and, and even graduate for that matter. Our message to the New Mexico Department of Education is that your school system needs to change, you know, enough with the standardized test and test after test, you know, more sustainable education, more hands-on, more learning about real-world problems and, you know, helping our own community out. Pues mi mensaje para ellos es de que que deberían de cambiar esto, que quiten eso del examen y que no que no lo vayamos a tomar. Um I would tell them to come and go to the schools and watch the teachers, watch our classes, sit with us and see that we are being teach, we are learning, 
and we have a good environment and not just put us in front of computers and test how much our teachers are teaching us when in real life we are learning way more in our classes than just in a test. To inform yourself, I mean, as citizens of Las Cruces, New Mexico, we need to be informed about the tests that we're taking, the things that we have to do, and the, the facts behind everything. Lastly, I guess, if you really do have strong feelings about such issues, write a letter, petition, um, make phone calls to the Board of Education, let them know the real implications that their decisions are making, because ultimately, these groups of people are making decisions that are influencing not only our lives, but the lives of future generations. So I feel that when we're more informed and when we're respectable, we can enact change, and that'll, that'll help everybody, especially the, the future generations. My message to the other kids in New Mexico is to keep up the fight, don't give up, and you know, just make sure your voice is heard because every kid has a voice. I never thought that a lot of students would have actually came out and said anything. A lot of people said they weren't going to be able to hear us, but this has never happened before. I haven't seen a walkout in years, especially for something as big as this. And I'm glad the way it's turned out. I'm glad the way all the students have stood up for themselves. to all of those youth voices. As a parent, I want to know everything that is going on within the schools. And standardized testing is just one of the issues that I take very seriously. I'm also really glad that so many youth participants take it as seriously as I do. Another major issue surrounding New Mexico youth this year was the proposed implementation of nightly curfews. Albuquerque City Councilors considered reevaluating a teen curfew that was ruled unconstitutional almost 20 years ago. In response, youth spent hours in school board and city council meetings to express their opposition. When all was said and done, youth leaders were successful in convincing the city council to not consider a curfew resolution. Generation Justice spoke with three of these youth leaders, Marisa Vigil, Hope Alvarado, and Ernesto Godina. Let's check out their conversation. I'm Marissa Hill. I work with New Mexico Child Advocacy Network, so we work with the foster youth population. Hi, my name is Hope Alvarado, and I am 19. I currently attend UNM. Um, I work with the New Mexico Forum for Youth. Hello, my name is Ernesto Godina. Um, I am a freshman at Highland High. Recently, inside the Albuquerque community, we have had a series of events that have gone on um, that are centered around youth, and they have not been—they haven't been the most positive. And I feel like this curfew is trending um, at the time just because we need to do something. We need to, we have to change something in our community to better it. And at the time, a curfew seemed like the best idea. But now that we're starting to look into it and get more missing links and study, do a lot more studies about it, um, it could be proven to be a problem more so than a solution. This curfew has been implemented 20, about 20 years ago in the 1990s, and it only lasted for about a year, and we got rid of it. It's going to affect me and other youth, like getting arrested or being like targeted for going studying, going on a weekend, just going to a movie at 9.30 with like your parents, or not even with your parents, your friends. But once our name is in the system, how are we going to get a job? What's our future going to look like now? 
rolling back protections while in a child well-being crisis, being 49th in the country um, with child well-being. You know, we shouldn't be focusing on the deficit of looking at youth as all criminals. We have a lot of youth that are homeless. And for my three years in high school, I was homeless. I already faced barriers and obstacles such as like, where am I going to live? What am I going to eat? How can I get some clothes or even just like a toothbrush? And criminalizing those youth that are sleeping outside, whether it's in benches, in slides, couch surfing, this is, that's not the right way. We should be in, focusing on positive development because our the reality is our families and our youth are struggling. I'm a single mom. I have a little boy. As a parent, like if I was going to the grocery store to buy formula for my baby and I'm getting harassed by um a police officer, or where's your ID? How old are you? Um, where are you supposed to be? Where are your parents? It's discriminating, and that's not okay. We should be looking into intervention and prevention programs. We could be looking into after-school programs for youth, looking for programs that specifically target youth who have mental illness. There's so much more that we could be spending that money on. We're New Mexico's Albuquerque's America's future. We're the ones who are going to make the city better. Right now, Youth Voice is the missing link in all of our system, and we should be trying to advocate for those youth and all of those missing pieces because to build a, a really good puzzle, you need to have all of those pieces because youth are the solution and not the problem. It is so important to have our youth represented in state and local governments, not only so that they can see the youth are engaged, but because without your input, the decisions made will not reflect your interests. Thank you, Hope, Marisa, and Ernesto. Our next song is Peace on Earth by Raul Medon. The Organizing Youth Engagement, or OYA Conference, is the largest youth leadership gathering in the state. Since 2009, a coalition of organizations led by the New Mexico Forum for Youth and Community have hosted OYA and brought together youth voices throughout the state. This year, the conference theme was Roots, realizing our own talents and strengths. You know, Catery, more than 400 youth attended the conference this year. That's the largest OYA gathering ever. That's incredible. So let's go back to the OYA conference, where youth had the opportunity to address legislators on a range of issues, including police brutality, teen suicide, and culturally appropriate school curriculums. Here are Jasmine V. Hill, Mohammed Sadiq, Yuri Loedria, and Taylon Reed. My name is Jasmine Vigil, and I'm from the Española Valley. I am currently a senior at Española Valley High School, as well as an active member in my community. I'm a Youth Alliance member, an Enlasa member, and as well as the Commissioner of Spirit for the National Youth Advisory Board for Love is Respect. Having experienced friends and peers taking their own lives, I would like to say I believe everyone is worth their value. Today I'm going to touch base on a topic that is highly avoided. 
teen suicide. Many adults, along with adolescents, cannot begin to understand the cause of suicide. Discussing this topic with many youth, we have come to the conclusion that suicide is often caused from social taboo, a lack of expression, social expectations, along with the feeling alone and the result of having no one to turn to. According to the New Mexico Department of Health, in 2013, the youth suicide rate in New Mexico was 75.3% higher than the United States rate. New Mexico has been ranked among the top 10 states of youth suicide since 1995, and we are currently ranked in sixth place. In order to further prevent this issue, we have developed three main solutions. First, we need to create, as well as promote, accessible health for young people. We would like to create social and community events that develop support for young people. These events will be a positive movement that will provide information on preventing suicide. Secondly, we would like to improve our current resources on suicide prevention. Current suicide hotline is outdated. When calling in, the youth are put on a waiting list to speak with someone for help. The waiting time could be the difference between their life and their death. The last solution developed by the youth is creating a school-based curriculum on the censorship of suicide. We believe suicide is often avoided by many, inferring it should not be talked about. This is wrong. We need to talk about this. Creating a school-based curriculum could highly decrease the suicide rate, along with providing support for the youth from the school board, their teachers, and their peers. Closing my argument, I now look to you, our legislators, our judges, and our policymakers, to support our youth in this movement, to further look into this issue of teen suicide and fund the solutions we have developed. Thank you for your time. My name is Sadiq Mohammed. I'm 15 years old, and um, I represent the Gun Access and Suicide Prevention Coalition along with the New Mexico Youth Alliance. I'm here to speak about cultural appropriation because I am disappointed in the fact that cultural elements and aspects have been taken and exploited by business and organizations and logos and insignias, but yet are still shunning the same cultural aspects they have used. Cultural appropriation is that adoption of elements of one culture by members of a different cultural group, especially if adoption is of an oppressed people's cultural elements by members of the dominant culture. So here's some solutions to the cultural appropriation. First is educational reform. This basically means like what they were saying, implementing ethnic cultural aspects into the curriculum, learning more about many more cultures so we could have a better understanding to appreciate them more. Uh, secondly, we have cultural equity and, and proficiency training. Uh, that basically means that there's trainings allowing people to come in and learn about cultural appropriation and how to fight against that. Lastly, we have government regulations that does not allow exploiting cultural aspects as logos, symbols, etc. for business and organizations. So yeah, that's basically it. I'm asking the legislators, I'm asking everybody and the lawmakers to definitely look into this because it's important and it's insulting to, uh, to many cultures, to many people, and it needs to be changed. Thank you. I'll be talking about the fact that uh, U.S. history curriculum today and books are exclusive of the contributions that people of color have had in this country. It is not offering them as electives. It is not distinguishing them. It's including them in American history because we are American history.
We listed three solutions to addressing uh, exclusive, glossed over U.S. history, books, and curriculum in APS. And our first solution was to change the entire curriculum of U.S. history and teach real U.S. history. The second solution is to establish at schools parent support meetings or advocacy groups or organizations. And we believed that it's important to not just include staff and faculty at schools, but educate and empower our communities in the importance as well. Our third and final and final solution is to establish faculty diversity trainings in schools so that teachers aren't just handed a new curriculum, but also trained into how to teach them with cultural sensitivity. And I ask you as legislators or as people, as policymakers, as our guests, to consider our solutions, to acknowledge, to recognize, and to justly appreciate the contributions of people of color in your history. Thank you very much. My name is Taylin Reed. My PGPs are she, her, hers. I am a rising senior and I currently attend Amy Beale Charter High School. I'm here representing Young Women United Circle of Strength. So today I'm going to be talking about economic equity and its connection to police brutality. And I'd like you to keep in mind, though it's economics, that doesn't mean it's isolated from our moral obligation to the citizens. Police brutality causes we identified in my group were the hierarchy. The setup of the police isolates them from us when it really should be us. The main cause we find of this is lack of education. The people don't know their rights, and we do not know the protocol of police. So when we're in contact with them, it becomes a very high-stress area, and the police are not educated in the way of crisis interventions and how to de-escalate these traumatic situations before they get to that point of violence. <laughs> Secondly, we identified the school-to-prison pipeline. There's an industry of prisons. We are making money a profit off of putting people of color in jail. It's $333 for juvenile court correction facilities, and it's $33 for juvenile alternative justice places. And that doesn't make sense economically and morally. So, moving on to the solutions. In order to fix this lack of belief that police should be trained in uh, social work, a semester class at CNM on how to deal with crisis interventions in traumatic situations. And by doing this, we can begin to integrate non-lethal weapon use into the police force. We believe it should be common knowledge, the protocol of the police. The people should know. The second solution is to shift to restorative justice. We've seen that it's worked, and we've seen that it's hard to complete, but... We have time and we have the means. And if we get the police involved in the community, which is our third solution, requiring service, the kind of service that's face-to-face, -face, that's two birds with one stone. So I'm asking you to consider the power of bringing economics and moral obligation together. Because resources matter, but what matters more is the society that uses them to help people, that uses them to give people what they need. And what we need is justice. <laughs> Thank you. What amazing and powerful speeches. Thank you, Jasmine, Mohammed, Yuri, and Talon 
for your inspiring words, leadership, and power. Now here is Running With Arrows, performing at the Oyer Conference closing. Yeah, all your ears hit us that we ain't going away. Talking on the tail, critical standing, and master my planning. Moist, roots, and memorable flexions of the generations. Hard to break, and this is what we face. He's waking up the battlefield that we're planning on. Keen hearts of brave souls will never be erased. Realizing our own talents and strengths. Thanks to everyone with the big smiles and swiftly Welcome back to Generation Justice. Tonight we're focusing on youth action on this special part one of our 2015 Best of series. For the past few months, we've seen an upswell of student activism on college campuses across the country. Students are calling out institutional racism that continues to underlie educational institutions and settings. Recently, we gathered a national panel of youth organizers and activists to discuss this wave of actions, how they came about, what they demanded, and why they're so important. Students from Occidental College, the New School, Ithaca College, and the University of New Mexico joined the discussion. Now we'll hear from Luna Olavaria Gallegos, Erica Moyardi, Alma Olavaria Gallegos, Harika Reddy, and Nicole Beatty. This is Luna. These protests aren't new. They're not bringing up out of nowhere. They've just been bubbling under the surface for decades, and students of color have always felt really isolated and alienated on campuses. So um, when we're looking at what's happening in Mizzou and at Yale and at Ithaca and at Occidental, um, it's really important to remember that everything is a manifestation of systemic violence against people of color in our country. Now we have climate that tells us that we are post-racial and that everyone is welcome on campuses, but any student of color that you ask going to schools can attest to the fact that if we're not being taught our history in schools, if we're not being um, welcomed into different spaces at school, if it's harder for us to get into school, that's not a space that's welcoming towards us, and it's a space that's actually systematically discriminating against us. What students have always wanted is a better representation of themselves and of faculty of color, and not only just any faculty, we want um, tenured track faculty, which is, that's, that's what's really important for people, so that we can see professors that look like us and who are teaching our history. Student organizers aren't getting paid for this work, so they're doing free work that administrators should be doing, just taking up so much time and energy, and it's exhausting work. All of us know it's exhausting work, but at the end of the day, because what we see on campuses is just a microcosm of our greater society, if we are really passionate about our families and our communities and, and people of color being able to progress in society, and if we care about that, then it's necessary to do this work. So at Ithaca College, like Luna was saying about her research into uh, student action on campuses, this has been going on for decades. Uh, this past year, uh, there was a couple events that happened. One of the fraternities at school hosted a preps and crooks party in which the description for crooks was a stereotype of an African-American male, um, and none of those students were reprimanded. We had another event that was hosted by the president of the school that was supposed to be a reimagining of Ithaca College. Um, there was an alumni panel which had was all white males and then one woman of color, and the white males on the panel the whole time were referring to her as a savage because she had 
referenced a savage hunger that she had for education, and then they kept on continuing to call her the savage. And her being the only person of color on that panel, it just showed that her thoughts and ideas were not being respected at all. Following that, on November 11th, nearly a 1,000 students came to stand in solidarity with Mizzou and to also continue to recognize that these things are still ongoing, the same as Mizzou, the same as Occidental at Ithaca College, too. We began demanding that the president of the school steps down because he hasn't shown that he can properly address um, the racial climate on campus. So by a grassroots removal of an administrator puts that power back into the hands of the students and back into the hands of the people. To me, it's um, being able to use my Latina voice by giving a voice to these movements. And I think that that work is more important than anything. This is Alma. I've only been at Oxy for one semester now. But during this semester, a lot of things have happened. Oxy's United for Black Liberation uh, movement took place. And so what really happened there was in response to Mizzou, Mizzou like, made a call to like stand with them. So Oxy had a walkout. And during that walkout, uh, the president of the university came down to listen to the students' voices. We had a list of demands along with the walkout. It was very upsetting at times. There's a lot of vulnerability and a lot of emotion. And I think that created a very safe community where people were willing to listen and willing to be vulnerable with each other. That was a better orientation than our like week-long orientation mm-hmm. that we had to participate in. This is Harika. This walkout was uh, designed to highlight and amplify the voices of black students on this campus. So the way that uh, our physical bodies were being represented uh, was through three concentric circles. So the inner circle to centralize the narrative around how black students experience inequity, violence, and microaggressions on campus. The secondary circle was non-black identified students of color to hold our black peers and also to stand in solidarity because it's a recognition that our oppression is not isolated from anti-blackness. And the third circle was um, white students to uh, have a change in ideology to show that we are no longer centralizing white supremacy. We're no longer prioritizing white students on this campus. It seems like the demands uh, between Ithaca and Occidental are are really exactly the same. The number one demand that Occidental had was the immediate removal of President Veach, exactly for the same reasons. Um, Occidental is functioning uh, like an economic institution, not an academic one that prioritizes the needs and the values of its students. Change at Oxy won't happen in the time that I'm there. For me, it's about planting the seed and seeing what it grows into. Um, This is Nicole Beatty. In regards to UNM and the racial climate, um, it kind of just sparked out of, like, um, past voices had said, like, from Mizzou and their call for solidarity. So we decided to hold a blackout here at UNM where at our student union building we disclosed what the black climate was and why things weren't addressed. And from there um, it, it rippled into a town hall that we had. The town hall was held with a panel of provosts and historians at UNM. I guess it was public knowledge, but it wasn't necessarily transparent to students. Um, The climate report that was produced in 2011 by President Schmidt here at the University of New Mexico, the issues that happened on the climate report weren't being addressed, um, and they kept on referring it back to um, the Afro, which is African-American Student Services. Um, But we feel as though the Afro shouldn't be held accountable for all black issues at the university that our admins should be held accountable. And then we had a 
a point where student voices needed to be heard, that stories needed to be told so that admin could show there's faces to these stories and there's some type of disconnect. So um, come finals week, uh, our president opened himself up to us. President Frank allowed us to have a conversation um, at four o'clock on a Wednesday in the middle of finals week. And we uh, had 30 minutes to disclose our demands to him and um, address the goals that we would like to see um, as black students on campus and how um, we would like to be served. And um, African-Americans and blacks on campus feel as though like we're the minority amongst the minority because they want to always state it up to like a tricultural state, but yet they want, they forget our narratives and it gets lost amongst um, other diverse populations. So we definitely wanted our voice to be heard at the time. And so um, further actions came that, you know, now we have a regular meetings set up with our provost. We definitely have things to come in and um, we're definitely looking forward to our upcoming semester. We don't really have a lot of faculty and support. So we're here, we're, we're studying, we're organizing, we're staying up late, we're, we're making sure our voices are heard. So uh, it's definitely a balancing act. And this work can definitely not be done by yourself. There's strength in numbers. Thank you so much to these amazing youth organizers. You know, I had the honor of working with these young women during the show, and to see their passion uh, when they speak about their work was really inspiring. It was a powerful show and raises awareness of some very important issues. And I agree with you, Katery. The passion of these student activists really shines through when they're talking about the work they do. Up next is a song called Take Warning by Operation Ivy. summer, the Youth Employment Summer Institute, also known as YES, gave more than 75 New Mexican youth the opportunity for employment. The program was led by the Southwest Organizing Project and funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. Eight local organizations, including Generation Justice, participated. Isadine Mustafa, a GJ YES intern, was selected as the keynote speaker for this year's closing convening and graduation. Izzy is a longtime Generation Justice member and has years of experience as an organizer with Students for Justice in Palestine, locally, nationally, and internationally. During his keynote speech, he took the opportunity to share some of his most important lessons learned as an organizer. Let's listen to Izzy's wise and motivating speech about being brave, taking action, and staying positive. Hello, everybody. My name is Izzedine Mustafa, a.k.a. Izzy, and I'm 23 years old. I'm a YES intern with Generation Justice. Even though I'm only 23, I have been organizing for over eight years now in different spaces and communities, locally, nationally, and internationally. I first started organizing when I was a sophomore at La Cueva High School at the age of 15 with a local Palestine Solidarity Organization. Being Palestinian myself... It was important that I organized and advocated for my people and my family overseas who have been oppressed for over 67 years. I have organized in spaces around Palestinian solidarity issues by being a part of the local Students for Justice in Palestine chapter, as well as being on the board of National Students for Justice in Palestine. I have also been organizing internationally with organizations in Palestine and around the world that advocate for Palestinian human rights. When I started in high school organizing around issues of Palestine, 
I became more aware that there was a lot going on in my local community that I didn't realize connected to the issues I was already working on. There were issues here that needed to be addressed, such as racism, sexism, classism, homophobia, transphobia, Islamophobia, corruption, and so much more. That's when the opportunity arose for me to be a youth member of Generation Justice. I was finishing up my junior year in high school, and I received a Facebook message from the youth coordinator at the local mosque that I grew up in. He told me that this opportunity would be perfect for me because its foundation was based in creating media and social justice, both things I'm very passionate about. I applied, had an interview, and a week later, I was a youth member of Generation Justice. And being a part of Generation Justice has changed my life for the better. Being a part of Generation Justice has opened the doors for me to be more involved in my local community and connect with members of this community and work towards the betterment of Albuquerque and New Mexico as a whole. Though my main focus for most of my organizing life has revolved around Palestine Solidarity Organizing, I never ignored the fact that work here needed to be done. I consistently lived out the motto, Think globally, organize locally. With my experience organizing in different communities here in Albuquerque, on a national level, and in Palestine, I've learned a few things along the way. I've learned the good, the bad, and what could be worked on and how organizing culture is very similar around the world, working on different issues. So here are a few things I'd like to share with you all, to take with you as you continue your journey, to follow your passions, and work towards the betterment of your community and the world. Number one, be 100% authentic with yourself. Liberating yourself is the first step to helping liberate those around you. As somebody who has struggled with finding my identity and coming to terms with it, I found out that after I liberated myself, I become more confident and driven to continue to organize to fight for the liberation of all oppressed people. Number two, be true to your word and take action. The words you say can make an impact, but the action you take is what makes the change. Number three, create healthy spaces. We advocate for creating healthy communities, but let's create healthy spaces within our own lives. We use buzz phrases like self-care and creating healthy communities, but we hardly spend the time to do that in our own lives. Organizing gets stressful and time-consuming, where we rarely have time to do right for ourselves. It's important to take a step back and realize that you cannot take care of the needs of others until you take care of the needs of yourself. The great Audre Lorde has said, Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Number four, create equitable spaces. Equity is something all organizers and communities strive for. But what does it mean when there is equity amongst your own organization? An example of this is look around and see who does the grunt work in your community. My experience in all different organizing spaces I've been a part of, I've seen that the women take a lot of the burden when running an organization, while the men have all the glitz and glamour. There needs to be a shift in organizing culture where equity exists and is practiced in your everyday lives. Number five, be empowered in your personal lives and know your value. Youth are often taken advantage of in different aspects of their lives. Know that you bring a lot to the table when it comes to organizing and in your personal lives. Everybody leads, and you yourself are a leader in every part of your life. Don't let anybody ever tell you different. Number six, don't let the money divide us. Let's get innovative. Community organizations are broke, and that's the truth. Right now, all over the country and all over the world, organizations are competing against each other to get funding by big foundations. This should not be a competition. We should work together. There needs to be more innovation. 
just like the YES program that brings organizations together to collaborate and bring opportunity to young people. Organizations have been struggling since the beginning of the struggle. So let's break the cycle and find ways to sustain ourselves so we don't rely on the man. Number seven, never think you know it all because there's always much more to learn. You learn and you unlearn throughout your life. Listening has been a tool for me to continue to grow as an organizer. Listen and learn from your elders, your mentors, your peers, and from your own experiences. Number eight, we go fast alone, but we go further together. This past summer, we have seen movements come together and connect struggles across the country and the world. From Black Lives Matter to immigrant rights to the issue of Palestine and indigenous rights, here in Albuquerque, we also have issues that connect. Examples such as homelessness, police brutality, LGBTQ rights, women's rights, racism, immigrant rights, environmental rights, and education. All of these issues are connected. So let's continue to work together and find our common threads of struggle and build a powerful base. Number nine, we aren't the future, we are today. Who put in the work over this past summer? Who puts in the work during the school year? We are the change of today and tomorrow. Youth voice matters, and the work we're putting in makes a difference. We are making noise. We are changing discourse. We are putting in the work today so we can continue to progress towards the future. Number 10. Do it with the love of your heart and the passion of your communities. Love and passion must be the driving force of our work. The love of our families, our friends, our communities, our world, and ourselves. I'm going to leave you with something. Something that I heard from an elder last week when a group of organizers from the Black Lives Matter movement came through Albuquerque. Albino from La Placita Institute said, There's a difference between a warrior and a soldier. A soldier is somebody who fights and organizes for the hate of their enemy. A warrior is somebody who fights and organizes for the love of their people. We are the warriors of our communities. Thank you to all the youth. Thank you to Generation Justice. Thank you to our elders, our community leaders who have been guiding us. I look forward to continuing to work with you all to better our community here in Albuquerque and in New Mexico. Izzy, these are words to live by. Thank you so much for sharing your speech with us. And I know that we are going to see so many great things from you in the year to come. I am very grateful to have had the opportunity to work with Izzy this past summer. His passion, wisdom, and contribution to our community never ceases to amaze me. Thank you, Izzy, for all that you do. Now some more music. Here is If You Can't Say Love by Visionaries. Since you ain't always here, I even wrote the song and all the time we shared. And if I'm you can't say love, we'll prevail. And even love will overcome. And all the evil will fail. And, and if I'm you here. can't say love, since you ain't always here, I even wrote the song and all the time we shared. And if I'm you can't here. say love, Justice. we'll prevail. And even love will overcome. And all the evil will fail. And, and if I'm you here. can't say love, I'll say it for you. Travel the globe and tell everybody that. We have reached the end of our show tonight. Thank you for joining us for this part one of our 2015 Best of series. Next week, we'll bring you part two focused on local and national justice campaigns. We would like to thank all of our passionate guests that we have had on our show in 2015. We are constantly inspired by your voices and your work. Thank you to Byron Shorty, Kevin Aspis, and Zachariah Ben 
and to all those youth who shared their thoughts on the park testing this year. Thanks to all the passionate contributors of the 2015 OEA Conference. Jasmine V. Hill, Mohamed Sadiq, Yuri Loreria, and Taylan Reed. We'd also like to thank Marisa V. Hill, Hope Alvarado, and Ernesto Godina for providing the youth voice around the proposed curfew law. Thank you to Luna Oliveria Gallegos, Erica Moriarty, Harika Reddy, Alma Oliveria Gallegos, and Nicole Beatty for sharing your experiences organizing around issues of racial equity on campus. And a special thank you to Izzeti Mustafa for your wonderful words. Thank you to Kamaria Umi for engineering our show. Production assistance came from Kateri Zuni, Tamara Kalaki, George Luna Pena, Melissa Harris, and Roberta Rael. And last, but certainly not least, thank you and a much appreciation to all of our youth members here at Generation Justice. We could not do what we do without you. Stay connected with us. Check out our website, generationjustice.org, where you can listen to all of our past shows, see our music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and much, much more. Also, our podcasts are now available on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe. We're also active on social media. So please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Tweet, tweet. And Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the McCune Foundation and, of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate. I'm Alden Bruce. And I'm Katerie Zuni. Following us on KUNM is Spoken Word. And don't forget to mark your calendars for Part 2 of our Best of series next Sunday at 7 p.m. We'll leave you with some great music from Necessary Noise. Have a safe and happy new year. Be to the most high.